Hello. So I know my voice sounds a little bit strange right now. And I was eating some protein powder, like mixing it with my yogurt earlier. And I accidentally inhaled a bunch of protein powder. So that is why I'm currently talking kind of like Miley Cyrus. It's getting a little bit better, but it's still a little bit raspy. Anyways, I am so excited to have you guys here today. Thank you for being here. I know I say it every single week, but I really am truly grateful that you're here. It's just amazing that, you know, when I think about it, because diabetes is often such a lonely journey and being able to connect and just share and feel less alone living with diabetes is such a beautiful thing. And because I I spent so many years when I was younger really hiding diabetes and not wanting anybody to know that I was living with diabetes because I felt like it would isolate me, I didn't realize that just by wearing my Dexcom on my arm or feeling comfortable sharing something that's so personal is something that would later in life connect me with so many people and make me feel like I was a part of something that really is greater than myself, I feel like. So I really have you to thank for that. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being on this journey with me. I'm just so forever grateful. The reason I'm so excited about this episode today is because I'm going to be sharing how I prevent, like my number one top tip for preventing high blood sugar post-exercise, but not only am I going to share what has helped me, I'm also going to be reading off a bunch of other people's responses to this question, like what they do personally in order to prevent high blood sugar post-exercise. And the reason I decided to share what other people have experienced is really because I don't know everything, you know, like I know what helps me as you know what helps you. And I feel like together when we share and learn like, oh, that helps Susie or like, hey, this thing that I do actually doesn't help Susie and just learn how we're all so different is such a powerful tool because knowledge is power and we can learn so much from each other. So I'm really excited to share what other people have experienced because it might just be the thing that will help you as well. And I just wanted to say this is not medical advice. This is information and education only. So the purpose of sharing information such as this is really to help you along your own journey and give you tools and insights that maybe you didn't know, but it's not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. Couple things that I did want to share before we dive into this episode today Number one is that I do these clubhouse chats every Monday at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time in a group that is called Type 1 Diabetes and Beyond. And today, because it is Monday as I am recording this, a woman, a lovely woman joined the chat and she has been living with Type 1 Diabetes for over 57 years. And I wanted to share something she said because 
She was diagnosed in the 60s, you guys, and I would love to actually invite her on to share her story on this podcast because I find it so inspiring hearing from those people who have been living with diabetes for much longer than I have. So if you are one of those people, I would love to hear from you. But one thing this woman said is that at the time of her diagnosis in the 60s, it was a death sentence. And the doctors told her that she had a 20 years life expectancy. How crazy is that, right? Like there's so many dire things that the medical system, like granted the Western medical system is so crucial and amazing for so many things, but there's a lot of things that also I'm like, why would you say that? Right. Um, Anyways, she's thriving. She's doing amazing. But one thing that she shared was just how, and I really felt it behind what she was saying, like how she had decided at that time when people were telling her all of these things about her life. And, you know, it was all these things that really take away that hope from you. And it was in that moment that she was like, no, I'm I'm going to live a a strong life with type 1 diabetes. That wasn't exactly her words, but basically, you know, she was going to do this and she was going to thrive and she wasn't going to let anything that people were telling her stop her from living her best life. And one thing she said was that it was then that she had decided, I'm never going to live in someone else's conversation because it was all of these things that people were saying about her and her disease and dictating what was going to happen. And she was like, nope. So I found that so powerful and I wanted to share that. Number two is that if you are on your own weight loss journey and you are wondering, first of all, like how much food should I eat to lose weight? What should my macros be? Maybe you're interested in learning about your macros, but you're just feeling like you don't know and you want a bit of clarity. I've created a quiz to help you get some guidance and some clarity around what your body actually needs in order to achieve your fat loss goal. So in order to take the quiz, it's free. Just go to tajakato.com forward slash calories. You fill in literally one question and then it breaks down like all of these really important facts when it comes to achieving your weight loss goal, when it comes to achieving your weight loss goal with type one diabetes And then you can calculate your calories and macros for fat loss. And if you don't know what macros are, they are the amount of protein, fat, and carbs that your body needs every single day in order to achieve your goals. And I will also link to this in the show notes. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to the More Than Just a Type podcast, a place where we explore what it takes to live your best life. I'm your host, Taja Cato expert in type 1 diabetes and fat loss, entrepreneur, and lover of all things fitness and personal development. Each week, we'll bring you a tangible tool, tip, or insight that'll inspire you and empower you to take action, achieve your goals, and live your best life. It's kind of interesting when I'm thinking about preventing highs and exercise because there's different stages that can affect you. Like there's one thing, avoiding highs before you exercise and then avoiding highs mid-exercise, but then also avoiding highs post-workout. So I kind of follow different sort of steps depending on, you know, what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. 
but this episode today is going to focus on how to prevent highs after exercising. So the one thing to note is that when it comes to exercise, different kinds of exercise is going to affect your blood sugars much differently. So when you are going to be doing some low intensity exercise, so more aerobic exercise, this is like walking, swimming, cycling, your blood sugars are probably going to drop pretty quick, all right? And you may have already noticed this before, but if you're going to be doing high-intensity exercise, so this is more anaerobic training, like weightlifting, doing super hit workouts, like sprinting, things that get your heart rate up a lot, this type of exercise is generally going to increase your blood sugars, and this is due to an increase in cortisol levels in the body, like all of those glucose-raising hormones that will really just raise your blood sugar, and um, it can make it like not really that optimal, obviously, right? So the goal is to really make sure that your blood sugar does not creep up and to kind of catch these highs before they happen. So I will give you my number one tip. Now, it's important to know if you don't already know this, but yes, high intensity exercise can increase blood sugar and have an exaggerated effect on blood glucose. And this can happen even hours after exercising. And I've even spoken to some people who, you know, their blood sugars might be pretty fine and then they slowly start creeping up just after exercise. But it's also important to remember that usually you're going to be most insulin sensitive half an hour to two hours post-workout and potentially up to 48 to 72 hours post-activity. So this means that even if your blood sugar does creep up during your exercise or even after, like right after a workout, you find that you're struggling with highs it's likely that your blood sugar is going to start dropping again. And this is because you are going to be more insulin sensitive from the workout that you just did. So really then the goal is to really make sure that you don't have the highs, but also make sure that you don't have the lows like way later that evening as well, right? So that is the goal. And what I do personally is if I find that my blood sugar is slowly starting to creep up after a workout, or if I had a really good workout and I'm, you know, feeling like my blood sugar is going to start going up, this is my top tip to you. And anyone can do this. It's super easy. But I will incorporate low-intensity steady-state cardio after my workout. So if I just did a weight training session and my blood sugar is a little bit higher than I would like it to be or it's trending upwards, I will spend a good 10 minutes to 30 minutes after my lifting session to incorporate some walking, whether it's walking on the treadmill, walking home from the gym, Whatever it is, I'm walking for at least, you know, let's say 30 minutes because sometimes it's 10 minutes, but sometimes it's more. So that is what I do. It sounds super simple, but honestly, it helps so much. And on that note too, like if I go into a workout and my blood sugar starts going up, if I have time, sometimes I'll just stop and I will walk for 10 minutes. Like I'll go on the treadmill for 10 minutes and usually that helps to bring me back into an optimal range to finish my lifting session. And also I have one more tip. I will typically try to make sure that I don't even start my workout 
unless my blood sugar is below 140 milligrams per deciliter, which in millimoles per liter is about 7.8. I do this because I find that if I know I'm going to be trending upwards, I'd rather start my workout in a range where I feel comfortable if my blood sugar does go up a little bit. So this way, after my workout, I can make sure that I'm in a more optimal range than if I were to start my workout at 140 milligrams per deciliter, and then maybe I would have finished in the 200s, right? So this gives me a little bit of flexibility without having to make any treatment decisions right in the middle of my workout. All right, so now let's hear it from our friends. So Tim had a response, and this response was about a fellow former type 1 bodybuilder champ, and he said he spoke with this fellow about his blood sugar raising after workouts. And basically what this fellow told him is, and I'm just going to read word from word here. So he said, basically he said, do your BG reading before your workout and make sure it's in a good range. Commence your workout, your hormones and whatnot will raise blood sugar, but about after an hour, it will go back down to the range you were before you tested. I have tried this and it works of by a couple of numbers. I used to take insulin to bring my blood sugar down, but then hours later it would drop too low. So it makes sense to just leave it. Question mark, question mark. Have an experiment. Obviously, cardiovascular exercise will drop blood glucose though. I'm just talking about lifting weights. So yeah, I guess that kind of piggybacks on what I also do is just really try to make sure that you know, you don't go into a, a lifting session when your blood sugar is already 200 milligrams per deciliter, for an example, right? Which would be about 11.1 millimoles per liter. So really just making sure that your blood sugar is in a place where if it were to go up um, at the end of your workout, you'd be okay maybe just sitting there for a little bit until it starts to drop back down. So that is a great response. Thank you, Tim, for sharing that. Now, Jen says, my blood glucose spikes with weightlifting, so I do more cardio, but with weightlifting, I bolus a few units before. So yeah, I've totally been there as well, and I would say that's an awesome tip. Like, I will also sometimes bolus for my workouts in the middle, like before I start lifting, especially if I don't really have time to do some low-intensity steady state beforehand. Um... I think the only thing to be careful of when doing so is to just keep in mind that in that window of insulin sensitivity, you may experience your blood sugars to drop back down. So whatever you're doing in the moment, just remember like it may go back down. It can be such a hurdle, right? Like you're literally at the gym waiting to work out, your blood sugar is high, and then you're like, cool, I got to do something. I got to wait it out. I don't have time. I'm, you know, it's like literally diabetes just gets in the way, (laughs) but I guess that just goes down to, we got to have patience, right? Like we have this nagging thing that we got to work with. So it's all a learning experience, but thank you, Jen, for sharing that because that is a really great tip and something that I do as well. 
So Kate, she says, I love this topic. Excited to hear this podcast. I'm excited for you to listen. And thank you, Kate, for contributing to this podcast. It's so amazing to have you guys share what has helped you as well. So Kate says, I honestly take one to two units of bolus after a HIIT workout. I need to cover the adrenaline. Making sure I drink enough water afterwards also helps some. That is a really good point because you're likely going to be a little bit dehydrated after you've been sweating, right? Is going to be really helpful in keeping those sugars a little bit more stable. And I'm seeing a trend here, like taking some units before doing your workout can be needed. And honestly, it's not something that I think medical professionals would often tell us, right? Like it's such a specific thing, but just knowing that, yeah, your high intensity training is going to create an increase in those glucose raising hormones in the body. And so you may need to cover your workout a little bit, and maybe it's just a small amount so that at the end of your workout, you're still in a good range, right? So all of those tips are so helpful. And Grace says, I know it may sound scary, but I give insulin before a workout and will always be five slash six blood glucose afterwards, which for those of us using milligrams per deciliter, that is a 90, between a 90 and 106 milligrams per deciliter. So I'm seeing a trend. Everyone is saying that they bolus before their workouts in order to really keep their blood sugar in an optimal range for lifting and keep it in an optimal range post-workout as well. So if you do try this, which again, this is not medical advice, but I have previously bolused for my workouts before in the past a ton and it does help. The only thing you want to be careful of is, again, that window post-exercise where you're likely going to be most insulin sensitive, half an hour to two hours post-workout, and again, potentially up to 48 to 72 hours post-activity. So just to make sure that you can avoid those lows and hopefully you don't, they don't happen, but I'm loving all these tips today, and thank you guys for sharing them. Thank you guys for tuning in. And I did want to acknowledge Iza, who had said that she actually has the opposite thing happen where she tends to go very low after working out. So she's wondering, like, in her case, what should she do before she even starts exercising to avoid that? And I think this is a conversation for a whole nother episode. So we will get into that in the future so that you guys are feeling real good and real clear about your workouts and keeping your blood sugar stable during and after exercise. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, hey, I have something to add that maybe wasn't spoken about in this episode, I'd love to hear from you. I love it nothing more than to connect with all of you guys to hear how you manage diabetes, to share our own experiences, to just connect about it because it's, you know, it's such an interesting thing where it's like, yeah, we don't really talk about diabetes. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it's not something that normally I talk about just in my like immediate life or with my family because not 
everyone really understands, right? Like unless you're living with diabetes, it's really hard to understand all of these things that we go through. And so I just want to thank you for, you know, again, being here because it's because of you that I feel less alone living with diabetes. And so anytime you want to connect or say hi or share something, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Taja Cato. Thank you for listening today. I hope this episode is helpful to you. I hope that it's exactly what you needed to hear. And if it did help you out in some way, I would love to hear and know your biggest takeaway. All you have to do is scroll down on whichever device you listen to podcasts on and tap to rate this podcast, tap the stars to rate the podcast, and then click to leave a quick review. Let me know what you enjoy most about this episode, what you learned from it. Um, or what you enjoy most about listening to this podcast. When you take the time to do this, it helps this podcast grow. It helps this podcast reach more ears and help so many more people. Thank you so much for your support. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.